coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and back with me today to talk some football is my co-host Curtis, and I know earlier in the week I told you guys that today we would be running our 2019 football award show, but we decided to hold off on that for another couple days so we can actually do it right. We know you guys are diehards just like us, so it was important for us to give you guys, our very loyal listeners, a voice in this process, in this award show. Uh, the way it's going to work is that Curtis, Charlie, and I, we're each going to get a vote in each category, and then the listener vote will come from uh, Twitter polls that we will be running uh, over the course of the next couple of days. We've actually already started running them uh, as of Wednesday afternoon, I want to say, or actually Tuesday afternoon, but we will be posting one or two more each day over the next couple of days, so find us on Twitter at Glory underscore UGA. You can vote there on each category. You can make your voice heard. We'll have a bunch of those over the next couple days leading up to the next show, to the award show, which should be up uh, late Monday evening uh, and maybe early Tuesday, somewhere around there. So that should be a lot of fun. But today we're going to start a new series that we're going to be running over the next couple of weeks leading up to spring practice, which actually we know when it starts now. It starts March 17th, so really not that far away, about a month and a half. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to examine each player on the roster, at least the returning players on the roster that actually played last year, and we're going to do what will amount to an exit interview, if you guys are familiar with that concept. Uh, This whole idea was premised on me hearing Kirby Smart talk about doing exit interviews with each player after the season, where the coaches kind of review what each player did well, what they need to to improve on, and give them some goals to work towards in the offseason. And I kind of Hearing that, had an epiphany and thought that would be a pretty cool feature to adapt for our podcast. Uh, But I did go kind of back and forth on what to call this series. Initially, I was just going to call it Exit Interviews because that's kind of where I got the idea. But but since we aren't actually interviewing anyone, I didn't want to be misleading. It didn't quite make sense to call it Exit Interview since we're not interviewing someone. So we just settled on Exit Review. So that works, I I think, I think. But that's what we're going to call it. Uh, But to adapt the concept for our podcast... What we are going to do is identify a player, uh, discuss the season they had, highlight what they did well last year, identify areas where they need to improve, and then try to project forward a little bit to what we can expect from them next season. The 2019 season is behind us now. We want to look forward. So we'll certainly do a little projection there along with it. And we're going to try to give you guys a good mix of players each week between starters, role players, guys from different classes, seniors, sophomores, whatever it might be. And we just thought this would be a unique and kind of fun way to provide you guys your weekly football fix. We know you all still want it uh, during the first part of the football offseason. And the plan is to run at least one of these each week moving forward until we get to spring practice, maybe with the exception of next week, since we have to cover the February signing day that will be uh, next Wednesday, actually. And before we start the exit reviews, we will get to that very quickly here. We do have breaking news of sorts. Well, I guess as breaking as news can be on a podcast. Uh, but Colquitt County running back Dejan Edwards, just shortly before we started recording here today, uh, he has just committed to the G. He's ranked number 279 overall in the 247 composite. But what I, what I find strange about 
his ranking, you see this from time to time, is that there's a really drastic discrepancy between the two major rating services with Rivals and 247. Rivals has him coming in as the number 135th ranked player in the country according to their individual rankings, while 247 has him coming in at number 500. So there's a huge gap there between the two services when all evens out, comes out to 279 when you throw in ESPN and all that kind of stuff. So uh, 247 kind of looks, looks like the outlier there, Curtis. But uh, before we talk about him as a player, we got we got to open with this. What are the implications of taking Dejan Edwards' commitment when it comes to Zach Evans being in this class? Um, I think it was just that you just never know which way the wind's going to blow with Zach Evans. So you honestly had to go with the sure thing at this point. It sounds like that's what they went with uh, with Edwards. So you think we're, we're, just, we're done with Zach Evans? Like we're, we're taking two running backs. There's no way we take another one. Um, if I had to guess, yes, I would think that's the way that we are leaning at this point in time. Yeah, well, I agree with you. With spots being so tight, we kind of laid out earlier uh, in the last week or so with the numbers, but we only have a couple spots left, assuming we were able to hold on to Broderick Jones and Cedric Van Pran, which is no done deal. feel a little bit better about Van Pran than Jones, but hopefully we can hold on both those. But we have maybe three spots left, and if you're going to take two running backs with those spots and add three running backs to the mix, I just don't see that happening. I think by – accepting Dejan Edwards commitment, we are basically saying we're out of the Zach Evans sweepstakes or we're just, we're not, we're no longer interested in that. However, that's gone down. Like we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. That has been a whirlwind crazy, like as crazy of his recruitment as I followed in a long time. Uh, but it looks like we are basically just throwing our hands up and saying, now, you know what? Like you just said, Kurt, we're taking the safer bet here. We're going to take Dejan Edwards, a guy from all accounts, quiet, humble, hardworking type guy, kind of the antithesis. I don't again, it's tough to say that because we don't know. I don't know Zach Evans personally, but at least the perception of Zach Evans and the perception of Dejan Edwards are kind of diametrically opposed. So uh, I think Kirby Smart, you know, talking about cleaning up the locker room and that kind of thing, avoiding distractions. And again, we don't know what kind of guy Zach Evans really is, but there has been there's some baggage there. Uh, has some some I don't want to say handlers, but some people in his corner, his entourage, I guess, that might not be something that Kirby wants to deal with, to trying to clean up some of the stuff in the locker room. So I think that's certainly factored in here and maybe just being done with the whole process with, with Zach Evans. But I do think that the ship is sailed with Zach Evans when it comes to the University of Georgia. And we are moving forward with Dejan Edwards as our second running back in this well, I feel class. like the the ship has sailed with a lot of schools with him. So, I mean, I think that's the one thing. It's really not just us at this point in time yeah. anymore. Yeah, honestly, like I, I think he's not. I don't think he's a take for AM right now. Probably a take for Tennessee. I know they're desperate for dynamic talent in the backfield, and and we all know Jeremy Pruitt and what they do up there in, in Knoxville. So, hey, look, he might end up there, um, but I don't know. I mean, I don't even know if he's a. Who knows where he's a take? Honestly, he might even end up going JUCO. Who I honestly don't know. I at this point, we might not really know until this dude shows up on campus in in June. Like we'll, we'll see. But um, you, you make a point there. But all right, so let's talk about Edwards as a prospect. So Dejan Edwards again, number two seventy nine overall in the two four seven composites, kind of averaging out all the major recruiting services out there. Big discrepancy between rivals and two four seven. So Kurt, which way do you lean more? Do you lean more towards where rivals has him ranked in the top one fifty or where 247 has him ranked as uh, a low three-star in the 500s? Um, I'm almost more inclined to go with 247. I mean, as good as I think Edwards may be, his game just doesn't jump out at you at the same time. And to me, he's a very similar prospect to what we saw in uh, Brian Harrion, who had so many question marks around his eligibility that I think that did play a role in his overall ranking. Yeah, I I, th- I don't. I'll say this. I don't think he is a top one thirty five player nationally. No, doesn't not mean he's not a good player. Yeah, I, I not, doesn't mean he's not a good player. I do think having him at number one thirty five is a little bit 
inflated. Uh, I think he's a really good pro. I think he's a good prospect. I think he's a guy that can be a contributor for us. I don't see him as a DeAndre Swift, Todd Gurley, Nick Chubb. I mean, those guys, I mean, we're talking about like all time greats at the University of Georgia at the running back position, but he's not like, he's not that level. He's just not. Uh, but he can be a contributor. He can be a good player. You know, a guy that, if you just look at the recent past, to kind of give you uh, maybe a comparison, uh, do you see a little, like maybe a little Elijah Holyfield where he's not like explosive with his speed necessarily, but, but good in a phone booth, short area quickness, runs with some power, that kind of thing? And look, I don't mean to say that it's an exact comparison between Dejan Edwards and Elijah Holyfield. I mean, they're certainly not carbon copies of each other. There are differences in their games, but there are a lot of things that they do that I think are similar. Uh, I would say that Holyfield was a little bit thicker. Not a little bit. He was thicker, more powerful. He uh, was just a, a harder runner coming out of high school. But Dejan Edwards and, and Holyfield do have some similarities in that I think Dejan Edwards and Holyfield were both more one-cut type guys. I think they were quicker than they were fast. I do think they both move laterally very well. I think that's a strength in their game. And I think that both of them lacked like elite top-end speed and probably topped out in the 4849 range, especially coming out of high school. So I do think there are some similarities there. Uh, so again, not carbon copies. Holyfield did run with more of a, a power running style, whereas Edwards, well, he can run with power, and he does put that shoulder down. He's more of a, a fluid athlete in space, and he has maybe a little bit more wiggle than Holyfield did. But uh, still, while there are some differences, I think that there are quite a few similarities as well. Kurt, do you see that as well? Oh, definitely. That's why I see him like more like the Elijah Holyfield, but maybe a little bit better back out of the backfield um, receiving-wise is the only yeah. difference in the two, really. I totally agree. I think that is a skill set he brings to the table. He's a, he's a good solid receiver out of the backfield. I do think he has good feet, which to me is very important. Like like obviously home run speed is is great. You want to and, and you're like ideal running back you used to make on NCAA football or whatever. I guess you can still make him on Madden. Uh, you you know you throw a uh, breakaway speed in there, but I, I do think there's other qualities in running back that I would take before like home run speed. Uh, I like I like some burst. I, th- I do think Edwards has has a like short area burst, but he does not have like long distance speed. Like he, he watches tape, he's good call from behind at times. Doesn't like leave people in the dust, that kind of thing. But I do think he's good in the short area. I do think he's got some quickness there. He's got a little bit of wiggle, um, not not necessarily a ton, but I, I do think as like running the football. I think in terms of like guys we've had recently, I could see Brian Harry a little bit. I I would actually go Holyfield maybe a little bit more just because I think he has that short area quickness. Uh, that uh, Holyfield had more so than than what Harry Harry Harry's got I think more speed than that short area quickness, but uh, I, I think he's a guy that can be a contributor. It, hey, if Elijah Holyfield was able to contribute and get drafted, uh, albeit or did, did Holyfield get drafted? Wait, he did. Right? No, he was he had to make the team, right? Uh, with the Panthers, um, but he might have gotten drafted in the sixth, seventh, or whatever. But late, late draft pick, and who knows what's going to happen with Harry? But I, if those guys were contributors then I think Edwards can, can be a contributor. Another, maybe not a feature back, but I think he can be a, a complimentary piece. And uh, if, if, it's to, if you trust what you hear behind the scenes with him being a, a good dude, hard worker, that kind of thing, I, I love those kind of guys in your locker room, the kind of guys you want to root for. Just like Brian Harry. You always want to root for Brian Harry. Not an elite back, but a good solid back that you want to root for because he had to work his way uh, up into contention and being a contributor. So, yeah, I, th- I think that's what you're looking at with, with Dejan Edwards there. But, all right, let's move into the exit reviews. And we're going to open this series with one of the biggest returning names from last year, and that is wide receiver George Pickens. So George ended up with 49 catches on the year, 727 yards, eight touchdowns, averaged just a shade under 15 yards per catch, coming at 14.8 over his freshman campaign. Ended the season on a high note with a bang, really, in the Sugar Bowl against Baylor with 12 catches for 175 yards, a touchdown, 
And we're obviously hoping that can kind of catapult him into superstardom on a national scale next year. So, Kurt, let, let's talk about Pickens for a few minutes here. First, let me ask you this about Pickens. Did, did George Pickens meet, exceed, or fall short of the expectations you had for him coming into the 2019 season? Um, To me, he um exceeded them. I mean, especially when you realize that how bad our team was, you know, from the receiver side of things, and you saw everything you did, Um, I think it really sh- – you know, spoke this for what he was able to do because it was not easy for any of our receivers, especially a young one like that who people knew was our best receiver. And teams made it their game plan to try to shut him down. And yet um, I still thought he did a good job. Yeah, I think if you look at George Pickens as a freshman, I, I agree with you. I think he exceeded my expectations. I, I thought very highly of him coming in. Obviously, he's a five-star prospect. We had big, ex- we had, we had expectations for him. But I'm always weary of of expecting too much from young guys like that. And you also have to factor in the kind of offense that we play in. I, I know we didn't have like you know with, with JJ Holloman getting kicked off the team and that whole deal. We didn't necessarily have like one returning guy coming back that was going to be that 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 obvious go-to number one receiver that JJ was going to be likely going to be so there, there's maybe some opportunity there which I think one of the reasons he ended up coming here to Georgia and kind of spurning Auburn at the last minute but I, I just I don't know if I expected nearly 750 yards 50 catches eight touchdowns in year one I, I think that may have been like even beyond I don't say by my wildest dreams but that's sort of been the highest of high ends of my expectation I, I figured more like you factoring with our offense and how much we like to run the football I was thinking maybe gosh if he got the 500 yards that would be a stellar freshman campaign for Pickens and he surpassed that um, now he had some down moments for sure we'll get to that momentarily but I do think he exceeded at least the expectations I had for him coming into 2019 maybe some other people thought he was going to be uh, exactly what he was uh, and it took him a minute to have any catches uh, in the, uh, did pretty well against Arkansas State and uh, kind of just continued to progress and had some big moments towards the end of the season, obviously culminating with that win over Baylor in the Sugar Bowl. Uh, but, Kurt, let me, uh, let's me let talk about his game. What was so – he, he ends up being an all-SEC uh, wide receiver, all-freshman all-SEC wide receiver, I should say. What made George Pickens a freshman all-SEC player last year? Um, I think he's got very good quick feet. Um, he runs some decent routes, but I think just his speed is very deceptive. And I think that's one thing that makes him a difference. Because um, if you notice, where a lot of times where he could beat the guys off the um, the coverage, but he didn't always run the best of routes, especially when it's like back shoulder throws and you know get himself too close to the sidelines. Um, but he just had this natural ability, especially his soft hands, which he was able to make some catches that were very impressive, to say the least. Yeah, I think the, the highlight catchers. You know, obviously that's what stands out to you more than anything. Uh, so if, if you look at some of those highlight catches, how he's able to make those huge plays. And he made he, he made he makes insane catches look rather routine. Like it's just what he does out there. Uh, and, I, and I think a big part of that is number one is body control, which is something that I that you, we saw coming out of high school. in this guy just you just put on his tape like, oh my god, this guy has insane body control. He's got he's got he's got hops. First off, you got to be able to get up, but he and he, he can hang up there. That's the athleticism. He can get, he can get up, but he also can hang. He's got great body control. While he's, he's got a very he's got a very fluid body. So some fluidity to his game. And on top of that, he has strong hands at the top of the route, which is strong. I mean, like you got a guy like Matt Landers who physically should be really good, but the hands, the strong hands are just not there. Like you get the top route and he gets a 50-50 ball, and he's not going to win that. His hands just, you know, just not going to bring it in consistently. Whereas Pickens, that is certainly a strong suit in his game. 
Uh, athletically, I do agree that he has deceptive speed. I don't think he has elite speed. Like I, I still wouldn't call him like a burner, but I think he does have better speed than maybe he's given credit for. I do think there's a little uh, deception in how fast he actually is out there on the field. And one thing I also love about watching George Pickens play, like I know he has some issues uh, controlling his uh, emotions and that kind of thing, but I also love the passion this guy plays with. Don't, you know what I mean? Like you see him out there, he just loves playing football, and you love to see that in guys. Uh, he plays incredibly hard, even like blocking. Like sometimes he he just over attacked blocking to the to the point where he was just kind of whiffing on guys. He was just going for the knockout shot. So he certainly had some eagerness there, and I think he improved on that as the season went on. He was a very willing blocker, which is something you yeah, I actually think he's probably one of our best blockers from the receivers. And it wasn't just one that we brought in just for blocking. Like the fact that he could do it all. Yeah, I remember like into, like past couple years before this year, uh, Tyler Simmons. When Tyler Simmons came to the game, you're like, oh, yeah, he's a designated blocker. When Trey Blunt came to the game, he's a designated blocker. Uh, but I think you're right. Pickens, especially when Cager went down, I think Pickens became our best perimeter blocker as the season wore on, even more so than be Tyler Simmons. Now, Simmons had a good year uh, from a blocking perspective. But Pickens, as, when you're a, an all-everything recruit, five-star guy, everyone tells you how great you are coming into high school. Uh, everyone out there in, the, in are coming out of high school. Everyone out in the country wants you. A lot of times those guys aren't the ones that buy into recruiting that early or buy into blocking that early at that receiver position. But Pickens certainly did. So that and to me, that's just that's encouraging to see. Just a, a good guy, good teammate. Team uh, His teammates seem to really enjoy playing with him. I know Fromm got frustrated at times with some of the, the youthful antics, but you could also tell that Jake – and Jake even said, you know, he's really a fun guy to play with, a guy you like having on your team. Um, so, yeah, very, very good player. We all know that. And we all know how talented George is and, and how good he can be and hopefully will end up being. But uh, there are some things he needs to clean up. But So what was it that kept him from being like you – know, he, he was productive, clearly our leading receiver. But what was it that kept him from being maybe even more productive last season, especially when we needed a, a wide receiver? We had like so many injuries, so many issues at wide receiver. We needed somebody to step up. And Pickens did to a degree. But he also had games you know, like Florida, one catch for four yards. I know – that Cager played in that game, but against Auburn, we needed him there, man. And well, I think sometimes the big, one big thing that hurts is there was just not always a lot of consistency in the quarterback play. The other receivers, um, kind of, I think that kind of affected him. He didn't have a lot of help to take the attention off him. And then I think there were times, like I mentioned earlier, that he really hurt us, or you know, at times didn't run the best of routes and took himself out of the play. Absolutely. One thing, one thing that I that I noticed in the in the bowl game against Baylor in the Sugar Bowl that I that I was extraordinarily excited to see is uh, I think it was actually his touchdown catch in that game down the sideline where he actually ran that that go route perfectly, that fade go route. He ran it perfectly. He actually he kind of pushes inside and then starts to fade out, but he didn't run like right on the sideline. He actually gave Jake some room to throw the football into the basket there to where he kind of lead him towards the end zone. And lo and behold, it ends up being a touchdown. Go back. I'm telling you guys, if you have any of these games recorded, go back and watch a tape from early this season. We're running some of those go routes, pickets, and watch how close he's running the sideline. Jake has no room to fit the ball into because you got to throw that over the shoulder towards the sideline so it gets away from the defender. If you leave no room in the sideline, all he's got, the only place he has to throw the football is basically inbounds where the defender is going to be an interception, which we saw at one point this year. Uh, and then uh, and the defender's going to make a play on the football. If he doesn't intercept, he can knock the ball down. It's going to be really tough to complete that pass, absent like a, just an insane catch and just a lucky play. So that right there was something I was extraordinarily excited to see. I know that's just one small anecdote. But that's a that's an important route down the route trees, and that actually builds into what he had, what the ability he has is go up and get those balls at the top of the route, make those insane 50-50 catches. But if you don't give your quarterback a chance to make the throw, but because you're running right down the sideline, it's not and nothing's going to happen. So just a small little adjustment there that ended up being huge. 
because he wasn't doing that earlier in the year. So you're exactly right, Kurt. I agree with you. The route running wasn't sharp, crisp, uh, which you expect from a freshman. Uh, but we saw him improve on that, which was encouraging to me. He's got now. He's certainly got to continue to get better on that. Another thing I saw in the, in the Sugar Bowl that I didn't see a ton from him throughout the season is he was doing a much better job of identifying the zone coverages that Baylor was paying, playing in the secondary and sitting down in those zones. Early in the season, you could tell like, he, he didn't know what coverages they were in, or at least he had, didn't consistently have an idea or didn't consistently know what coverages they were in. And if you don't know what coverage, then you don't know what side adjustments to make. You don't know where to sit your route down. You don't know where the quarterback expects you to be. And I do think that was an issue at times in the past game not just him but other receivers especially the other young guys I know Jake had some guys running open at times and missed them occasionally uh, but there are also times where he throws a ball and he expects a receiver to be there and he's not there so I, I think that's certainly something as you mentioned that Pickens can continue to work on it's just just cleaning up his game you know it's the fine tuning he has all the athleticism in the world to be a superstar receiver uh, especially with a guy like Jamie Newman coming into the into the, uh, into the fold with his ability to throw the deep ball and kind of meshes with what Pickens does really well. And then, of course, with uh, new offense coordinator Todd Munkin pushing the ball down the field vertically, hopefully a little bit more at least he has in his past. So uh, factoring all that in there, Curtis, what do you expect from George Pickens in 2020? Can, so he, can he go from being an all-freshman, uh, all-SEC freshman, to being an all-SEC first-team type wide receiver in 2020? I could see it. Um, I especially think that we're going to have some help for him. And I think that Munkin's going to run the type of offense to get him into space and try to, you know, I think Munkin's the type of uh, coordinator that's going to do a better job of um, just getting him open. Yeah, absolutely. And like we, we've talked about with Munkin before, one of the things that excites me most about what Tom Munkin does as an offensive coordinator is he features his elite receivers, right? Whoever that go-to guy is, whoever that alpha is out there, he finds a way to feature him, whether it's Justin Blackman, whether it's Mike Evans. Uh, he finds a way to feature those guys. And even though they're the focus of every defensive game plan, he still finds a way, as you said, to scheme them open, to get them open, and to just really work and call plays that that match their skill set and, and maximize what they bring to the table. So I think that certainly uh, could help him – I don't want to say be a – I can't guarantee he's going to be all SEC first team. It's certainly be a contender for that because – Yeah, I definitely really think he's going to contend for it because I think – and I think just the fact that not only that, but like you mentioned, Newman, someone like that who can take the pressure off it where George may be very well better suited, you know, to when a play breaks down, he could make something happen. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I absolutely agree. And, and uh, look, if – there are some really good receivers in the SEC. You know, you've got Jamar Chase coming back. You've got a couple guys that I got Wild coming back. You got Devontae Smith, Alabama. You got some good receivers in this league. Uh, you got a couple of guys at AM. But I think Pickens can be, I think he'd be just as good as any of those guys in the right kind of offense. Like you put if you put him in an LSU offense, I think he could have been, I don't want to say just as productive as Jamar Chase, but I think he could have been a thousand yard receiver last year for them. Absolutely he could have been. So in the right kind of offense with the right kind of quarterback. Uh, and him and just some growth from year one to year two, cleaning up some, just polishing some of the things he needs to work on. That's really what it is. It's just it's just polishing for him. He's got the athleticism. He's got everything it takes from a raw time perspective. He's got to polish things up. He's got the experience now. So I fully expect him to contend for all SEC first team uh, honors. I don't know if he'll get it, but because uh, there's other good receivers as well. But I think he'll certainly contend. So high expectations for George Pickens. Well, would you say, Kurt, will he be the second receiver to go for a thousand yards in Georgia history next year? Um. I mean, he's going to be close to it. I mean, people knew we were going to him every single time when we needed something, and yet he still got 750 yards, and this is all as a freshman also. Yeah, I think he has a chance. Like, I know this sounds insane, 
but I think he has a chance to break our single season record next year. Uh, if you consider how many games we're playing in terms of like, re- receiving yards and what what is it? I think I know it's Terrence Edwards. Uh, let's see, one. I think it was barely over. It's one thousand and four. Yeah, it was just over a thousand, thousand and four yards. So he was what a little a little about two hundred fifty yards away from it this year. Next year with the with the quarterback that actually pushed the ball down the field a little bit has more of ability to throw the deep ball. An offensive coordinator who wants to push the ball down the field. Uh, maybe some some guys to, to to take the pressure off him a little bit. Some of these young guys coming in. I, I think. Look, man, I, you know what? I'm going to say it right now. I think George Pickens will break the single-season receiving record for Georgia next year. I think it's going to happen. Yeah, that's what I expect from him next year. Yep, maybe over expectations but or maybe too high, but we'll go with that. And before we move on, I do want to make sure you guys know that today's show is sponsored by The Athletic, a subscription-based sports news site for real fans. With in-depth coverage from local writers on every team, obviously here with the University of Georgia, they have – the very talented Seth Emerson covering the beat. So that great local coverage combined with the best national writers out there, whether it's college football, NFL, Major League Baseball, they have the best guys, the true, truly best journalist in the business. And uh, there are no ads, pop-ups, or clickbait. Don't worry about anything like that. Just great sports writing that tells the story behind the story. Get exclusive player profiles, deep dives on analytics, team power rankings, fantasy sports insights, Stuff that you're just not going to find anywhere. Uh, right now, one of the articles that I've been reading that, uh, that's been really, that I found really interesting was uh, a Dear Andy, kind of the Andy Staples mailbag, where he kind of went through the possibility of like a Big 12 SEC challenge, obviously hypothetical. And uh, that was a lot of fun to read. And you might be interested in seeing what he had to say about our Georgia Bulldogs and who we might be matched up with. So uh, just a fun read there. But you find stuff like that all the time on The Athletic. And each subscriber gets a personalized feed of stories, get live Q&As, and so much more. All you have to do is download the Athletic app, pick your favorite teams, and the Athletic will be, begin servicing all the latest player storylines that matter to you. If you're ready to get started, all you need to do today is go to theathletic.com slash overtime for 40% off a yearly subscription. That's theathletic.com slash overtime. All right, let's move on here. The next guy up on our list today, our next exit interview or exit review is uh, Malik Herring. Uh, so very different from, from George Pickens, just moving around a little bit here. So Malik Herring ended his junior campaign with 22 tackles, three and a half tackles for loss, and a half a sack. Now he plays a position that does not get a lot of notoriety, not like a receiver position would. But how would you assess, Kurt, the play of Malik Herring in twenty in 2019? Well, when he actually played, he did play well. But I think, I don't know if it's, it hit – um, injuries or discipline or what, but he was not very consistently on the field, and I think that was one of the things that hurt him the most last year. I know the first part of the year, because you know, he was in the doghouse in the spring, I know the first part, of the year, he didn't really, I don't know if he played at all, very, very little against Vanderbilt, maybe a couple snaps at most, um, and I think that was, again, Kirby kind of sending the message, that kind of thing, making him earn it, and, but by the middle of the season, he was, he started a bunch of games, now, the one of the reasons he wasn't on the field as much is just, you know, it's just packages, you know, with, with what the teams were playing and what they like to do now, with the proliferation of spread offenses, your your five tech defensive end is not going to be on the field as much as maybe they would have been 10, 15 years ago. Uh, so I think that's really played into it. But uh, I, I thought Malik, when he was on the field, I think the guy is a beast. Are you with me on that? I think he's yeah, really – Yeah, 100%. Good, really good. That's the thing. Like when he plays, he's a game changer. It just wasn't consistent. Yeah. I mean, as good as Jonathan Ledbetter was, and you and I, I mean, we love Led, uh, but I think I've always I think Herring has potential to be better because I think he has a little more pass rush. I know he didn't show it last year with half a sack. But there are times where he got some pressure and just didn't get the guy down the ground. Um, but I, I, when he played, I, I I think he has potential to be a a, a really, really good five-tech defensive end. Um, but what is it, Kurt? What does he need? Like, 
if he's going to take that next step next year as a senior, what does he need to continue to work on to take that next step? Um, probably just his speed moves in general. I think being uh, quicker with the ball uh, or off the ball will be his difference maker because he is good in stopping the run. I think it's just uh, being consistent when it comes to pressuring the quarterback. I say I here I think part of the, the I don't want to say problem but part of the reason he doesn't put up more pass rush numbers more havoc numbers I think it's just a function of our defense and what we do uh, we don't ask like in our three four defense which I mean we don't really we run with an even front more than we do an odd front but that position that player the position he plays is not asked in our defense to be a dominant pass rusher that's not the goal as you said the goal for him is to two gap essentially and and play the run and to set the edge and play the run. And then if you can convert to pass rush, sure, go ahead and try to get out of the pass. I think that's one thing that he can work on is just converting from the run to the pass uh, to the pass rush because he, he, is a, he is a very, very good run defender, very strong at the point of attack. He's got a great initial punch, um, does a good job kind of ripping through things uh, and discarding the offensive lineman when he, when he sees what hole the running back's going in, what gap the, the running back's heading in. Uh, I think he does a great job there. I really do. I think he's a really good run defender. I would like to see him be able to convert to the pass rush a little bit more effectively when he's on the field in those situations because I think he has the ability. I think he's I think he's more athletic than Jonathan Ledbetter was, and I, I think he has the ability to. to I'm not going to say to you know get five, six, seven sacks. I think he can get three, four sacks, maybe maybe push it to five uh, if he's given enough playing time on the field there. Uh, so I think he has that ability, but I would like to see him convert a little bit better and just. To me, honestly, is it fair to say just kind of and look, we don't we don't know exactly what's going on, but just maybe off the field stuff, Kirby, maybe a little bit more consistent effort, you know, in practice because that seems to be what got him in Kirby's doghouse. Yeah, definitely, and that's what I mean. Like, you need him to grow up. You need him to be a leader, especially yeah. when we have all this talent coming in right now. Like, you can't not do it and expect to play because Kirby will have guys that will do it. He yeah. has guys that are willing to buy in. Absolutely. There's all, and that's that's one of the great things about competition and this, all these guys that Kirk keeps bringing in class after class after classes. Somebody's there to push you, man. And if you don't want to do it, then somebody else will want to do it. So you better. It's time, it's, now's the time, Malik. I think Malik has NFL potential. I really do. If he can just take a few steps and just kind of get his head on straight, more a little bit more consistently, and uh, and show a little bit more ability as a pass rusher, I think he can be a, a, a not a high round, but a, maybe a late round undrafted free agent, a guy that could potentially make a team down the road um but all right let's move on to the next guy in our list today and that is linebacker quay walker who ended the season with 23 tackles three and a half tackles for loss and two and a half sacks now you guys know if you listen to the show of uh, that quay is a guy that i am really high on who worked his way into the rotation inside linebacker this season after not really being in the conversation as a true freshman and he's a guy that i think is barely scratching the surface of how good he can eventually be i'm very high on his ceiling so, Kurt, what positives did you see from Quay this year that he can build on moving forward? I thought he was a lot better at recognizing the play. Um, that was one of his biggest problems last year. It wasn't his skill set or anything like that, but it's just how quickly he was making the, his uh, play recognition. Yeah, I, I, I think he – honestly, I know, I know N'Kobe Dean might be the fastest linebacker that we have on the roster. I think Quay's the most athletic guy on the at inside linebacker that we have on the roster right now i really believe that but the reason to get on the field as a true freshman is as you said he just like he didn't he didn't know how to play the position he played uh, he kind of played linebacker in high school but he, he they moved him all over the field he's playing like like a star position at times um he he would play outside linebacker at times he played a little bit inside linebacker had his hand on the ground at times like he just what he didn't play inside linebacker consistently in high school so he had a little bit further to come than a guy, as we've said many times, a guy like Channing Tindall, who played more than Quay, played over Quay 
as a true freshman. But Quay surpassed him this year because Quay's a better overall athlete, and he finally kind of started to figure out what to do at that position, the, the nuances of playing inside linebacker. And one of the things that I love about Quay, I think, put the, you know, with the two and a half sacks, uh, you saw in, and he, he was in the rotation, but he didn't, you know, necessarily play a ton. Uh, he wasn't one of the starters in the rotation. Uh, but I think he has, and one of the reasons I'm so high on him is the versatility he brings to the table. And his background, as I mentioned in high school, this guy rushed a passer quite a bit. And I think he has great pass rushing ability. We started to see him used in that role more as the season progressed. He was in our dime package. Uh, and we, had, we have different variations of our dime package, like different like packages within our dime package. But he was in a couple of those packages, and we had him rushing the passer. And I think that's something that he brings to the table that I don't know that the other linebackers on the team bring as – like I think Nicobe Dean can do that. I don't think he's as adept of a pass rusher as Quay Walker. Quay Walker has the size. He has the frame to be able to do that. You can actually literally line him up on the edge and, he, and on, on the tackle and rush the passer. Or you can put him over guard, too. That's fine. Uh, but I think he has a lot of versatility to his game. He's a great athlete, uh, can run side on the sideline, all those kind of things. Uh, but what – so I'm just talking him up here. But what holes does he have, Kurt, that are still in his game that he needs to work on for him to kind of be uh, the guy that I, that I think he can ultimately end up being? Um, I still think his play recognition. I think that's the one thing that's really holding him back. Um, I think Nakobe Dean, one of his best attributes is how quickly he recognizes the plays. Um, I think that's yeah. the one thing that separates them, just the natural fluidity of playing the position. Yeah, you kind of see that from Nakobe as a freshman. He's a guy that played inside linebacker in high school. He's a four point student. So he or coming out, of, I think he was the Valedictorian at high school, if I remember correctly. So um, he's a guy that just kind of understands the nuances of that position and kind of what offenses are trying to do. Maybe a little bit more than a little bit more is maybe a little bit more advanced in that regard than Quay is, um, or at least was this past year. Confident in the reads, the play recognition, all those. I think he did a much better job of that this year, but I think he still can still certainly, as you said, improve in that regard. I would like to see him be able to discard and disengage from blockers a little bit more consistently. That's one thing that I noticed throughout the year. Um, the athleticism is there in spades. But again, it's just learning how to play the position, doing the little things that inside linebackers have to be able to do, playing with the light, the right leverage, taking blockers on with the correct shoulder so you're not getting taken out of the play. Um, and, and when a blocker does get up on you, You've got to be able to discard that guy. You got to be able to rip through him. You got to be able to, to grab and shuck all of those things that inside linebackers have got to be able to do. And part of that, as you mentioned, comes with play recognition. Because if you're not recognizing the play as even if it's just a half a half step slower than everyone else, that half step can be critical and give the offensive lineman a chance to get up on you and take you out of the play. So those are certainly some things that needs to continue to work on and get better at. But I, sir, I absolutely believe that he will. And I believe in Glenn Schumann to get him ready because he has he has things you can't teach. He has that athleticism, uh, that versatility. Uh, just got to just kind of polish up his game a little bit and uh, take it from there. But what kind of a season do you think we can reasonably expect from Quay Walker in 2020? It's hard to say because I think he's going to be heavily affected by Monty Rice coming back. Now, if Monty Rice had not come back, then it was uh, clear um, that it, our two guys were going to be both Quay Walker and Nicobe Dean. Yeah. Um, but with him coming back, I think it does play a role in what I'm going to expect from him next year. Because him and Monty Rice have very similar type games. More so, yeah, there's some similarities there. I can see. I think he's a little better athlete overall than Monty, but I can see the similarities. Um, yeah, I think. I think obviously we know Monty because Rice Monty, is Monty, or I mean, Nicobe is more of like a Tay Crowder type that you want in on third downs and things like that. Where uh, it's just not like that. I mean, yes, Quay's more athletic, but they fit the same type role in our defense. 
Yeah. Do you? I, I, the way I the way I see it is Monty Rice is going to be a starter next year, inside linebacker, no doubt in my mind. And I think the the, the starter alongside Monty is going to be a battle between Quay Walker and Kobe Dean. Is that how you're going to handicap it right now? A hundred percent. Yeah, and I mean Channing Tindall, I think he'll be in, end up being in the rotation, but right now I think it's Quay Walker and Kobe Dean who are battling for that that second starting spot next to Monty Rice. I don't know. I don't know who I expect. I don't know. I don't know that it's going to be a battle. It's hard for me to predict that one right now. I I like Quay's size, uh, but man. Nicobe Dean's a heat-seeking missile out there, and he does bring a lot to the table on third downs. He's a little he, he's a little undersized, but he still does a really good job of the play. You mentioned play recognition, be able to get kind of even even though he's a little undersized, his ability to understand what offense is trying to do allows him to get in there and make the play at the line of scrimmage. I mean, as bad as it sounds, too, he's just a sm- I think he his football IQ is a little bit higher. Yeah, at this point, especially at that position, I think that's fair to say. Um, so Quay's, and those are kind of things, that, but those are kind of things that Quay can get better at through the offseason. If you if you put the time in, you can get better at those kind of things. But I mean, I man, I, I don't know. I, I think just based on size alone and the versatility. I, I mean, know, it, I, in pure athletic ability, I think that Quay is. I think he's a, a higher ceiling. player. Yeah, I think he's got a higher ceiling than both guys. Monty and Nakobe. Yeah, I I, th- I think I agree with that. He's not there yet. But if he ever gets the ceiling, like if all three guys reach their ceiling, I think Quay is the highest ceiling. I think he, he would end up being the better player. But uh, he's got he's got a little way to go there. But uh, I still am very very high on Quay Walker. I'm very excited to see what he's going to be able to do in uh, in 2020. I do think we can expect him to at the very least be in contention for a starting spot. And uh, it would not shock me at all if he ends up winning that spot um, and being uh, one of the one of the two starters in that rotation. But there will be a rotation. Like, no, no bones about that. I mean, all right, next up. Oh yeah. All right, next up on uh, in our exit interview series here, we've got Aziz Ojolari, a guy I just really love watching play, man. Really good. Just I'm a big fan of Aziz. Ends up with 33 tackles on the year, five tackles for loss, five and a half sacks on the season. And Aziz is a guy who really flashed in the Sugar Bowl two years ago against Texas. He tore his, if you guys remember, he tore his ACL towards the end of his high school career. Wasn't cleared for most of his freshman campaign, but played a ton against Texas in the Sugar Bowl a couple years ago. And uh, he really became a mainstay at outside linebacker this year as a redshirt freshman. So, Kurt, how would you characterize the season that Aziz Ojolari had in 2019? Um, he made big plays when we need him. Um, I think that he was probably one of our most consistent anchors, especially in the front seven. Um, he was a game changer. I mean, he stopped the run, and he did a great job getting after quarterback in the past, and he, he required a lot of attention. And I think he has a game that can do it all, where he's not just a pure pass rusher or he's not just someone who can stop the run. He, he honestly can – he can do. He's an every down type linebacker for us. I totally agree with that, and I think that's why he ended up winning the job over some guys like Nolan Smith, Adam Anderson, Jermaine Johnson. Because um, one of the questions I was going to ask you is, what did he do to hold off some of the really talented players behind him, the Nolan Smith, the Adam Anderson, so Jermaine Johnson? So they're all really, really talented players. Um, and I think you're. Right. I think the fact that he is maybe a little bit more adept at doing both things. I think Nolan also plays the run really well, but he was maybe not quite as big as Aziz was this year. Uh, and he still was a, a – he's a year younger and all that kind of stuff. Aziz has been in the weight program for next year, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I think Aziz, out of all those guys, they're all talented. They all have roles, and they're all going to have roles on this team moving forward. But I think Aziz, at least last year, I'm totally in agreement with you, was the best when it came – he was the, he, he was the best combination of playing the run and rushing the passer. Uh, I, I, I do believe that. As you can see with the five-and-a-half sacks, you know, 33 tackles. And he, he, I thought he did a really good job of doing, again, what our coaches asked him to do within the confines of our defense. We don't just unleash our outside linebackers every single snap. Now, on third down, we get pretty creative and we come after you. But on standard downs, first and second down, 
that's just not what we do. Pass rushing is not necessarily the the primary objective in those situations. We want to stop the run first and foremost. And Aziz was the best at doing that of our outside linebacking crew last year. The other guys were fine at it. They were good at it. They're just not quite as good as Aziz. I think that's why he became more of a mainstay and played more than the other guys did. Um, but you do you think he do you really think he was a game changer last year? Um, I mean, for our defense, yeah. I mean, just the fact that he made the big plays. Think about it. I mean, when we're playing Baylor, he comes up with those big sacks on that that's fourth down. Point. Like he, ju- yeah, he just made. He was one of those guys that made the plays when they needed to be played. I mean, that's he wasn't like play. a guy like he's not someone like a Noel Smith who can change the game at any one time. But he's still talented enough that where he's very important. Yeah, yeah, okay, you're right. I, now I see what you're saying. Because I, I, I guess when I heard you say game changer, I think, man, like he wasn't like a dominant pass rusher. Well, no, he's just a big-time player that made big-time plays when you needed them. Sure. I, I think that's fair. He did make some big-time plays um, at, at, at key moments during the year. That's very true. I'll give you that. Um, I, I do – I don't think he is it's, – it's, to me, it's kind of like – it's kind of like in some ways Quay Walker. And I, I don't – and I just – I don't – I think he's kind of scratching the surface of how good he can be. Uh, I think he was really good for us this year, but I think he can be even so so much better. I, I really believe. I, I think he can be a ten sack kind of guy. If we now again uh, the confines of our defense make that a little bit more difficult, but I think he has potential to do that. Um, and it's also going to be tough, you know, because we're going to rotate guys. We, we play a lot of guys on defense. I don't know if we're ever going to have one guy that's going to have like 10, 15 sacks. Some of these other guys that play. It'll be play a long time ball. before we have another Jarvis Jenkins. I mean, Jarvis Jones. Jarvis Jones, yeah. And like, we don't like, it's like Chase, Chase Young plays like every snap for Ohio State. Like, we don't, like, we rotate guys so much, kind of keep them all to buy in. And it also helps you recruiting as you can say, hey, look, you're going to play, man. Um, so I, I don't know if we'll ever have a guy like that. But I think, like, if he was in, if he was in an, a defense where he was playing like snap after snap after snap, I think he could be a 10 to 12 sack kind of guy next year. I really believe that. I just don't know if he's going to get the snaps. And if you think about what we do defensively, where we we're playing the runs, the primary objective, and you convert to the pass rush on standard downs after that. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think he had a really good year. I really do. I don't know if he was dominant. So if that's the case, if he had a really good year, but wasn't necessarily a, a dominant pass rusher, although he had big moments, you're right about that. What does he need to do to take that next step and become a dominant player next season? Um, I think the biggest way he's got to improve his game is his speed. Because um, right now this could be, especially I think this year, is going to be the difference maker. I think don't even know if, if he'll be the guy this coming year because I think that Nolan Smith and uh, Jermaine Johnson are ripe for a big, you know, to take off. I think Nolan Smith is ready to uh, – to- to come on the national stage, let's just say that he. I mean, he was a man among boys for a lot of the time out there. Yeah, when he got, and he just didn't play as much. But he, he. Let's make no mistake about it. Aziz is so good. And I love Aziz, and I do think he has a great combination of playing the run and, and rushing the passer. But Nolan is on another level when it comes to explosiveness, rushing the passer, and he got better playing the run. And the thing about Nolan, it's like he wants to play the run. He plays really hard. Uh, she, another year in the weight room is going to do wonders for Nolan. And just that year of experience. So, I, yeah, it, Nolan could certainly take on that role next year or cut into Aziz's playing time a little bit. Uh, but, I, I, yeah, I think speed – because that's the one thing that, that Nolan – just that explosiveness. I think Aziz has good uh, speed for that position and has a good first step, but it's not going to Nolan Smith. So you want to just kind of work on that short area quickness, that that burst off the edge there. And, get, and, and, you, and obviously this is the thing that all young pass rushers do is you just continue to try to diversify your pass rushing moves, your your repertoire, I guess, of pass rush moves, and uh, and, and just be able to play off the offensive linemen's leverage a little bit more consistently, all those kind of things. Uh, again, I don't keep saying this, but it's just true. Like Aziz is a talented guy. He's got to continue to polish the game and just become more of a, of a – uh, 
I don't want to say complete player, because I think he is a complete player, but maybe become a little bit more of a, a rusher in, uh, in those key situations. Uh, but do you see him taking the next step? Like, how, do, how good do you expect Aziz to be in 2020? Um, I still think he's going to continue to get better. I mean, we got to remember the guy was still coming off of ACL surgery. Um, but I think the more time he's able to spend in the weight room, the more time he's able to work on his craft, the better he will be. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I, I think he'll have, I think he'll have another really, really good year next year. Maybe not a, again, 10 to 12 sacks kind of thing, but I think he's going to, I think he'll be a, a better version of himself this year uh, than what he was this year. I'll say that. All right. Last up today, we have running back James Cook, who had 188 rushing yards on 31 carries this year, 6.1 yards per rush, two touchdowns, uh, also added 16 receptions for 132 yards, 8.3 yards per catch. So it's a total of 47 touches, which comes out to 3.3 touches a game for 320 total yards, which comes out to 23 yards a game, uh, 6.8 yards per touch in, in total, and two overall touchdowns. And he was James Cook was a very popular mailback topic throughout the season. Uh, really, it seemed like we got a question about him every single week throughout the season. And that was based mainly on how he was used, or should we say misused. But, Kurt, what is your take on the on the season that James Cook had in 2019? Um, Wasted. That's a great word. That's a great word. Do you think that was more uh, a, a shortcoming of James Coley, or was that maybe a fact that he just was behind guys like DeAndre Swift and Brian Harrion? I think it's on James Coley because – he had the skill set. I mean, you know, we are struggling receiver-wise, but yet you still couldn't find a way to get him the ball in the slot and things like that. But I think that was a game plan problem. I think, yes, and I, absolutely. And I, I think you even heard James Coley kind of allude to that at times. And even Kirby himself, or I guess in that final press conference, we heard Kirby allude to it. Uh, I agree. I think he was wasted. There was so much more that we could do with him. And even when we tried to use it, it was the same actions over and over. It wasn't like the Georgia Tech game where we finally started to, like, run some constraints off the same actions we had shown since week one against Vanderbilt. It's like, oh, my God, it's not that freaking difficult. Just turn on any other team's tape and figure out how to use guys like this. We just didn't make use of his abilities, which which was maddening to me, as we said throughout the season over and over again, when you factor in how just the dirt the playmakers on the outside, the issues we had at receiver with injuries and experience, a guy like James Cook, if used the right way, could have been a – at the very least, could have been much more of a playmaker for us than what he ended up being in 2019. That's my opinion. I, I agree with you. I think it was more of a a uh, James Coley thing than it was a James Cook thing in 2019. Uh, here, I, here's a question for you: Were you surprised that he did not enter the transfer portal? Um, yeah, I think he had to know that a change was coming for him not to. Yeah, because I'm I wasn't like necessarily expecting him to to try to transfer, but I would not have been shocked. It was it certainly crossed my mind. Let's like, I, and I think I said on the show at one point like I wouldn't blame him. Like God, this guy's talents have been misused entirely. Uh, but I think you're right. Maybe heard down the grapevine that change was coming, and also you see DeAndre Swift leaving, and maybe part of the reason to get his and part of the reason to get as many touches obviously was because he had a similar ish skill set to DeAndre Swift. And DeAndre Swift was just a better version of what he was last year. That's, I think we have to say that. So when Swift's moving on, um, obviously we have Zamir White, but we don't have someone to kind of fill in and do some of the things that DeAndre Swift was able to do for us. So maybe he saw more of an opportunity. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if I wasn't. So I don't know if I was surprised they didn't end the transfer portal, but I certainly thought there was a possibility. And I'm glad he didn't because I think we're going to be able to hopefully use him a little bit more effectively with Todd Munkin this year. Um, but I think we all agree he's a talented guy, a dangerous guy with the ball in his hands. But like, let's look at James Cook. What does he not, – let's not worry about James Coley. What does Cook need to do himself to – what does he need to continue to work on to improve his chances of becoming a more consistent contributor in 2020? 
I'm probably more just a stronger runner. I think that's the one thing that's really going to come down to it. He's got to uh, just try to improve his game when it comes to run, actually, you know, running the ball between the tackles and things like that. And we haven't seen him do it all that much. Um, but I do think it's fair to say he's he's a little slider build. He needs to continue to bulk up. Obviously, he's not going to be a huge guy, but he's got to be able to bulk up a little bit more, get a little stronger. I think he did a good job of that between his freshman and sophomore years, but even but just continue to do that so that he can uh, be an every-down type back. I'm sure he, that's sure that's what he wants to be. I'm sure he doesn't want to be as kind of the uh, the, the guy that's used in, in, in roles out of the backfield as kind of like the auxiliary piece. I think he, I mean, sure he wants to be that feature back, but to do that, he, he's going to have to be sure that he's going to run, he can run between the tackles consistently. I, and I've never been one of those guys that, that said like, oh, he's just, that's just not what he can do. He can't do that. I think he can do that, but to be able to hold up consistently, he's got to get a, a, add a little bulk, a little mass to that frame to be able to do that consistently. Um, but yeah, I think that's something he's got to work on. And I, I, I he's got good hands. Uh, I think, when he, he wasn't giving me opportunities to run routes. I'll say that. But I think as a route runner, people, a lot of people talk about like, hey, let's put him out in the slot and have him run routes. When he was actually out there running routes that weren't just like little bubble routes, I, I don't know if he was the sharpest route runner. Um, so that's one thing. If, if you want to, if he wants, if he's going to be used in that role, you want to be as virtual as possible uh, and just continue to sharpen those skills as a route runner, as an actual receiver. I think he can do some things, especially if we, you know, uh, go with two running backs and we, and we go with some tempo. We don't want to substitute. So defenses can't sub. We got two running backs in the backfield. Maybe you have Zamir, maybe you have James Cook. And then on the next play, maybe you don't put him in the slot and get a matchup on a, on a, on a linebacker because they got their base defense out there. He's got to be able to, to make, to make, to beat that guy by running routes so uh i think those are things that he can continue to improve on but um yeah so uh what kind of season do you expect for james cook in 2020 kurt um a lot more successful i think he's gonna get the ball in space and just i think that you'll see um game plans that'll try to get him the ball I do agree with that. I, I'm still not certain that I, I that he's going to be a the feature back this year. I, it's not out of the question, but we haven't seen that from him, and I don't know if he's going to fill that role this season. I still, I, I think he can run between tackles. I think that's a little bit overstated from the people who say that uh, he's just not that kind of back. I think he can now. Is he is a mere white type? No, and I do think he, the versatility he brings to the table allows him to be utilized in other ways. So. Uh, I think he will have more of a role. I, I'm ready to say that. I think that Todd Munkin's track record shows that he finds a way to get athletes the ball in space. So they can make plays. He utilizes people's skill sets. He maximizes those skill sets. And so I think that James Cook will be more of a contributor in our offense, but I'm still not quite ready to say he's going to be the, the feature back. Again, not completely out of the question, but I still think he's going to be more of a role player. I think that role will be a bigger role this year, but I still think he's going to be more of a role player than he will be a, a feature back, number one, like horse kind of guy from the running back position. But all right, guys, that does it for us here today on the Glory UJ podcast. As always, we really do appreciate you guys taking time to listen to our show here, especially during the college football offseason. We hope you guys enjoyed this first edition of our exit review series. We'll keep running these with five or six players uh, each episode over the next couple of weeks leading up to spring practice. And uh, we're definitely going to open this up to you guys. We'd love to cover the, the players that you want us to cover first. So uh, hit us up on Twitter at Glory underscore UGA and just throw us out any players that you'd like for us to cover on the next show. We'll take, let's say we'll take the first five names that get thrown out there. So feel free to interact with us there. We will have our 2019 football season award show 
uh, running late Monday evening, early Tuesday. And uh, we will certainly have all those categories up on Twitter for you guys to vote. And we're giving you guys a voice of this. You know, you guys live this and breathe this and watch all this stuff and pay attention just as much as we do. So uh, also get on Twitter, again, at Glory underscore UGA and share your thoughts there. And uh, we will also have you guys completely covered for all things signing day uh, come next Wednesday. So make sure to check back for that as well. But for Curtis, I'm Tyler. Thanks for listening. And as always, go dogs.